welcome to Love Notes from a Soul Coach, a podcast where we talk all things healing, what motivates us, what gets in our way, how do we transcend those stuck places and learn to love and accept ourselves more. I'm your host, Mary, and I've crafted each episode around real themes from my private practice and my life with the intention of sharing insight, inspiration, and just keeping each other company along the journey. I'm so glad you're here. Let's dig into today's show. Hello, hello, friends. How's everybody doing out there? Well, spring is rolling into New York. It's getting greener here day by day, and it's just so life-giving, such a relief. This is the best time for me. It's like the sweetness of of the seasons changing, but my allergies haven't become miserable yet. So we'll see what it's like recording the podcast when I'm in hardcore allergy season. That'll be interesting and probably very annoying. Um, But anyhow, okay, last week I shared some of my favorite quotes, some more of my favorite quotes to get you inspired and get you thinking about your life in new ways. And today I'm going to share a favorite story with you, which I hope will have the same effect. It's really one of the most magical stories ever. It's the story of how the writer Stephen King got his big break. Do you know this story already? If you don't, you're in for a treat. And if you do, I hope you'll stay tuned anyway, because we are going to weave this story into a personal message for you at the end of the show. So stick with me because there's a prize at the bottom of these Cracker Jacks. So Stephen King, even if you're not a fan of horror, Stephen King is a household name at this point. He's actually the 19th best-selling author of all time. But way back when, in the 1970s, before he was one of the most famous authors on the planet, he was an English teacher pitching manuscripts and getting rejected, living in Maine in a double-wide trailer with his wife, Tabitha, and their young children. And they were just trying to piece together enough money each month to survive. I read that Stephen had to borrow a suit when he got married because he didn't have one of his own and he couldn't afford to go out and buy one. He didn't have enough money for a typewriter either, so he borrowed his wife's, who is also a writer, and they set it up on a makeshift desk in their laundry room. Stephen had had some short stories published at this point in his life, but no luck getting any kind of book deal. And after starting a few pages of Carrie, he decided the story was no good and he crumpled up the sheets of paper and tossed them in the trash bin. Well, Tabitha found the crumpled up pages when she was emptying the trash and she saved them. She not only saved them, she brought them back to Stephen and insisted he had something and that he should keep going with his idea. As he tells it, Stephen had given up on Carrie because he didn't feel like he had the essence of the female protagonist dialed in enough. So Tabitha gave him feedback to help him get it right and then he wound up ultimately finishing the manuscript and sending it out. Carrie was rejected by 30 publishers, 30, but the 31st accepted it. And interestingly, Tabitha found out before Stephen. 
he was teaching and she had returned home from her shift at Dunkin Donuts to a telegram. Can you imagine? (laughs) This was the 70s. A telegram from Bill Thompson at Doubleday Publishing saying that they wanted Carrie and they were going to send a $2,500 advance. At this time in their lives, things were so tough that Tabitha and Stephen couldn't afford a telephone. So Stephen is at school teaching and he hears an announcement over the PA system to come to the front office because he has a call from his wife and he knows it's something urgent because in order to call him, she has to go through the whole rigmarole of bundling up the kids and trekking over to the neighbor's house to use their phone, something a person wouldn't do unless it was really important. So he rushes to the office and he gets the news, the news that is going to dramatically change the rest of his life and his family's life. Don't you just get goosebumps imagining what that moment must have been like? Not only finding out that your story is going to be published by a major publishing house and you're going to get some much needed cash, but finding this out after nearly scrapping the whole story, after throwing it away, after being rejected by 30 publishers before this one. In 2003, Stephen was invited to speak at the National Book Awards, and during the ceremony he said, There's a time in the lives of most writers when they are vulnerable, when the vivid dreams and ambitions of childhood seem to pale in the harsh sunlight of what we call the real world. In short, there's a time when things can go either way. That vulnerable time for me came during 1971 to 1973. If my wife had suggested to me, even with love and kindness and gentleness, that the time had come to put my dreams away and support my family, I would have done that with no complaint. Mm. But she didn't. In fact, before Carrie got picked up, Stephen was offered a job by the head of the English department where he taught to be a faculty advisor for the school's debate club, which would have meant an extra roughly $300 a month on top of his teaching paycheck which was money the Kings really needed, but Tabitha told him not to take it because it would have cut into his writing time. No matter which edition of Carrie you come across, if you open it up, you'll see the same dedication unchanged from the original. This is for Tabby, who got me into it and then bailed me out of it. We talk a lot about beliefs when we talk about healing because our beliefs shape our lives. Our beliefs more than our capacities or abilities determine what is possible for us. If we don't believe we're worthy of having something, if we don't believe we're good enough or strong enough or brave enough to go for it, we'll find reasons to sit on the sidelines. Our subconscious mind will sabotage us. Most of us, and this is the craziest part, Most of us are not even consciously aware of our own beliefs. We're just walking along the same old pathways, existing within the parameters of what is known and familiar to us without having to question what drives our choices and behaviors deep down below the surface. We don't smack up against our beliefs until something new enters our lives or something radical happens to disrupt the monotony of what we're habitually accustomed to doing day in and day out. 
When something new comes up, a new opportunity, a potential relationship, or the end of a relationship, then we're confronted with change. And this is when our beliefs make themselves known. We start to ask ourselves, what am I going to do? How am I going to handle this? And the answers will be directly tied to our beliefs. What do I believe I'm allowed to do? What do I believe I'm capable of handling? If we don't believe we can handle the next step as it's presented to us on our path, we will stall out. We'll refuse to take it. And our ego will find all kinds of compelling excuses and justifications for shying away from a chance. But behind the scenes, we didn't take that next step because we didn't believe we could. We didn't believe we're allowed to outgrow the old step. Or we didn't believe it's the right time. Or we didn't believe the people we love would approve. The list goes on and on and on. But our actions at those intersections in life, they're always about our beliefs. So if we want to improve or optimize our lives, if we want to heal beyond an impasse, heal beyond a pain point, we have to get in touch with the narrative of our belief systems and change those beliefs. In the story about how Stephen King's monumental career took off, he had something that not all of us have. He had someone in his corner who believed in him when he was struggling to believe in himself. And it made all the difference. So let me tell you something. Here's your Cracker Jack prize, if you're still with me. If you're hearing this right now, and there is something in your life you've tossed in the bin and given up on because you can't muster enough love to see it through, I believe in you. You are the reason I'm recording this podcast right now. I'm just a conduit. I'm a messenger delivering this very important message to you. Keep going. Adjust whatever needs to be adjusted. Find the support. Call in the means, but don't stop. This is your sign to resurrect whatever you may have abandoned. This is your sign to keep going with it. Do not give up on your masterpiece, on the thing that is precious and urgent to your soul refuse to give up on it. We all need a tabby in our lives. Let me be that voice for you today. Pull your crumpled up masterpiece out of the bin, smooth it out, and see it through because you can do it. One day in the not too distant future, you'll be getting a telegram too. You'll be getting affirmation that you were right to fight harder to put your soul work out into the world. You know, your time is the most valuable asset you have in this life. So I deeply appreciate your decision to spend some of it with me today. If you heard something that resonated or brought hope or a new perspective to your life in a meaningful way, please consider subscribing, reviewing, and sharing my podcast so it can find its way to more ears out there. If you'd like to learn more about my work, you can visit me anytime at marywelch.com. You can sign up there to join my mailing list and stay connected to all of my offerings, writings, and updates. Till next time, friends.